morning, Twitter. I'm Saeed Jones. He is Isaac Fitzgerald. It is Thursday, and you are watching AM to DM. Here's a tweet from our very own Sylvia O'Bell. Me. I will be nice and stay silent during this Taylor Swift album rollout. I mean, what else could she do to try us at this point? Taylor. A lot. A lot! <laughs> we were having dinner last night oh, when I man. saw it. Sylvia, Sylvia's first tweet was the first yes. time I saw it. And it was one of those moments where I looked at the image. You're like kind of blurry. Like, who is My that? eyes kind of saw what it was. A lot of pink and silver. But my brain didn't allow it to, I was like, no. I was like, who's that? Yeah. And Sai just looked at it and he said, I think that's Taylor Swift. Because right. part of you go, like, surely. Like, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. Knowing how pop culture and Twitter and social media and everything works now, we'd go, who would do this? <laughs> who would set themselves up for this? Um, well, Taylor Swift. It was her uh, performance, her first live performance of her new single, Me, which is the first single off of her new album, at the Billboard Awards last night. No one was watching. No one was <laughs> talking about it. Uh, here's what Lil Conch Snack had to say. Uh, Beyonce did not invent a drum line. But you can't convince me that Taylor Swift, from her early years on that Christmas tree farm in Pennsylvania, came up with this just like that. Sorry. Christmas tree, which is a real fact. I mean, I, yeah, I didn't know she grew up on that. That's a, a real farm. fact. Yeah. For me, this, this is what this moment encapsulates. Because if you watch the whole video, right. there's some parasol stuff in there. Some mediocre choreography. Handsome dude from Panic Look at the at Disco turn. is looking Look okay. I'm going to turn the other way. There's moments, and it can be pretty. I just don't see how you walk into that, especially knowing that Homecoming had just dropped. You don't just walk in and say, you know what, guys, we gotta cut the drum line. Like, we just gotta, like, I don't wanna be seen as being derivative in any way. How do you not know that that's how that conversation's gonna go? And for me, where my brain goes is her team. Who does she have around her that's just like, no, this is great, looks good, good to go, let's do it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> And this is, I'm not going to argue on like Taylor's copying from Beyonce. Right. Or, like, I just like, I don't really care. Other people can do that conversation. But I think you're totally right. Like this is just from a, a, a being a smart businesswoman kind of perspective. Artist. Yeah, you're launching like this whole thing. You don't want to set yourself up, as you noted, for comparison. Your song is me. You want all eyes on you. You don't want people even going, wait a minute, isn't that kind of similar? And we've all done things, I think, when you're like excited and you're about to launch something and you have this one element you're so in and someone hopefully you know one of your friends or colleagues or whatever goes uh that just isn't that going to be a little too similar let's to? take this out of the idea room let's one-on-one -on -one yeah. real quick taylor yeah. i just don't know if this is the right idea to your point also it's called me they could have cut all those drums they could have cut and it just, just her come on on stage and it opens with just her and that would have been fine and last here we are and also you weren't going to talk about it. you i was going to leave y'all know <laughs> i believe in joy i really do i tried not to be the killjoy and like i listen if taylor swift is your queen and she made you happy you deserve whatever you want um but i, I was going to leave her alone and then here we are mm -hmm. homecoming's the one thing that i just won't stand for anyway Bossip. <laughs> they did not leave her. They Bossip. did not leave her alone. They sure did. Bossip <laughs> tweeted this: Magachella, <laughs> Beyonce, tethered Taylor Swift. Oh my God! Use the unseasoning stone and a marching bland <laughs> to gentrify Beychella and got banished to the alabaster abyss. Oh my God. Oh God, to be in those Bossip editorial meetings when they come up with those headlines. That, I mean, just, Woo. that's the thing. They even had a tweet last night that was like, don't worry, we like, saw it. Birdman hand rub. All of us were just <laughs> waiting to see what they did with it. Uh, Brandy Jensen had a tweet that was just like, all right, girls, now let's get in gentrification, which I was just like, I saw some brilliant. Mayo Cella. 
That's incredible. Did you have a favorite boss-up headline out I of think, that whole uh, thing? Marching Bland is pretty inventive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's all so good, but that is just so perfect. Marching Bland. Chef's kiss. All right, well, let's take it to the timeline. Send us your reaction to Taylor's performance using a GIF, all right? We don't need to use our words. Let's just use a GIF using the hashtag am to dm well, let's stay, <laughs> let's stay classy and go live from the district with BuzzFeed News Capitol Hill reporter Paul McLeod. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. Unlike the Attorney General, I am here and ready and willing to answer all of your questions to the best of my ability. Well, good. I would hate to have to subpoena you. How kind of you to show up. Here's a tweet from Jeff Bennett of NBC News. Look what Representative Steve Cohen brought to today's House Judiciary Committee hearing. He tapped the chicken and said, he's here, referring to Attorney General Barr, who is a no-show. Mm. So, Paul, like you said, you showed up. Barr didn't. Why did Barr cancel his appearance before Congress today? Well, the reason was because House Democrats wanted to get staff attorneys to question the attorney general, and he uh, strongly objected to that, uh, almost implying that it was an insult as someone who's been confirmed by the Senate for the House to have their staff members question him. I almost wonder, and this is just my own personal theory here, uh, aside from maybe just not wanting lawyers to be the ones asking questions, if there was a bit of an optics issue in play, because the last time we've seen a prominent person questioned in front of a uh, congressional committee by a lawyer rather than politicians was Brett Kavanaugh back in the fall. I almost wonder if they want to avoid any kind of mirroring of that situation. Interesting. So um, we, we saw that tweet with the chicken. And, and I want to know how is it, the entire point of this House Judiciary hearing uh, is to hear from uh, Attorney General William Barr. Mm -hmm. And he's not there this morning, but the hearing's going on. So how is it going? How's it going to work? What's going to happen? Well, there wasn't really, they already had it this morning. They didn't really actually do much. They kind of spent 20 minutes or so giving some speeches. Uh, but no, the fight continues on from here. So uh, the uh, Chairman Nadler has already said that he is going to be uh, using his subpoena power. But they actually have a list of targets. I mean, they want to get Mueller in. They want to get Barr in. They want to get an uh, unredacted version of the, or at least a more unredacted version of the Mueller report. And so they have a long list of what they want. And he's been very open about the fact that he's, ready to use subpoena powers if it comes to that. Is that historic? Like, we often talk on the show, like, we use the scale. Like, is it kind of wild to have an attorney general be subpoenaed to show up? I don't know about an attorney general specifically, but, I mean, committees have using subpoena power to uh, draw information or, or testimony from the White House, not particularly rare. I mean, most famously, House Republicans during the Clinton impeachment saga, they used impeachment powers a ton in that. So it, to some degree, no, this is not a, a break from norms. Mm -hmm. Now, I know, of course, AM to DM had uh, the day off yesterday. I think it's fair to say we all enjoyed our, our Wednesday <laughs> off. But you know who put in work yesterday at that Senate Judiciary hearing? Senator Kamala Harris. So I would like to suggest just infer, <laughs> hint, that um, her exchange with William Barr yesterday, eight minutes, was pretty stunning. Can you kind of talk about what was going on between the two of them? Yeah, well, in particular, I think what people have really been caught by was the first, what, two or three minutes of that exchange where she had 
a great question about whether the White House had ever directed the Attorney General to, or I'm sorry, what was what was the exact suggest. word you used? Like basically tr- suggest, thank you, that they sh- that he should open an investigation into anyone. Let's say, oh, I don't know any of Trump's many political rivals, and his uh, inability to clearly answer that question was uh, a little worrisome. He essentially said, "Look, I've never been directed," and then he kind of shot down any other version of that. No, I wouldn't say they've ever hinted. No, I would never say they've ever implied, but also talked about how there were some conversations that had there. So that opened up a a lingering question of what exactly were those interactions? And is Trump or people in his team essentially saying, you know, you should really go after, oh, I don't know, any of the 500 people you can imagine ending that sentence. Mm. Yeah, and I would even say using the phrase shot down is pretty, like, he, it wasn't so much he shot down as he just kind of was like, uh, no. Um, I mean, watching the video is a little stunning, and it really makes me feel like, I feel like he would have practiced for that one. You know, this, what I will say for William Barr is, I, you know, I got to say, I probably wouldn't do much better if <laughs> Senator Kamala Harris was, was grilling me the way she, she, my goodness. She really brought it. What else stood out, though, yesterday? For those of us that maybe took our day off and didn't stay glued to the timeline, what else uh, came out of yesterday's mm-hmm. hearing? You know, there was another moment like that, actually, where he was asked and about whether or not if politicians are approached by foreign governments, whether they should approach that, approach that to the FBI. Sorry, approached by foreign governments offering dirt on their political rival, say the comparison was the North Korea intelligence agency. Now, this was a tricky one for Barr because, of course, uh, that's what happened with the Trump administration. They were approached by Russians with dirt on Hillary Clinton. They took the meeting and did not report it to the FBI. And he also struggled to answer that question. He kind of hesitated and then before finally conceding, like, yeah, you should probably contact the FBI in a situation like that. But for the most part, I think this was a real Rorschach test. I mean, we saw wildly different reactions from Democrats. It was all about William Barr uh, being the lapdog of the president, uh, very much going to bet to defend the president and to paint the administration's actions in the most positive light possible. And from the Republican side, we saw allegations that, look, Democrats will not let this go. This this is a settled matter. It, it is done, as uh, Chairman Graham said. It's over. And uh, basically painting Democrats as sore losers, losers who won't give up the ghost, give up the dream of Mueller bringing down the president. One more aspect of this I wanted to ask you about. Something I've really struggled to understand throughout this process since the report uh, came out is the way Mueller has seemingly just really ceded the floor to allow everyone else to control the narrative. Even him, like, he he privately sent that letter, right? That wasn't like a publicly, you know, open letter that he shared. And, of course, now William Barr continues mm-hmm. to get to kind of own the conversation. So wh- do we have any understanding about why Robert Mueller um, is being so quiet um, when the stakes just seem to get higher and higher? And of course, does this mean he will testify before Congress? Well, he's a traditionalist. He's an institutionalist. Uh, This is a career law enforcement agent. And in terms of strict letter of the law, his duty is to report to the attorney general, not to Congress, not to the public. And he's uh, stuck by that. I mean, we did get a glimpse that he has been frustrated with that letter to William Barr, where he essentially said, look, your your summarization of the findings is leading people to believe all kinds of inaccurate things. Can't you just release a more fulsome summary of what I found? And that went absolutely nowhere. I mean, William Barr essentially shot that down, the whole notion of that down in the hearing yesterday, saying it was sort of a, a snitty complaint and, and, and really not giving it any validity whatsoever. And 
I mean, what can I say other than that this is a, a matter of uh, of temperament? I mean, William, Bar or I'm sorry, Bob Mueller has been very hyper concerned. We've seen this from day one about integrity, about appearing to be non-biased. He wanted his report to be taken serious and have validity from people all across the spectrum. And when you do that, you do have to make certain, certain sacrifices. That means you're not leaking to friendly reporters. You're not uh, doing strategic releases uh, with, I mean, one uh, exception from a couple months ago involving our story. But essentially, you're, you're basically going to be the, the vault that is the respectable guy that is not playing these partisan games. And the upside of that is credibility. The downside is you don't get all the fun and the, the actual impact that comes from playing these partisan games. Right. Well, it's working out wonderfully for him. I hope he's quite proud of his strategy. Uh, Paul, thanks for joining us this morning. Great talking with you guys. Cheers. <laughs> Wish we could have talked to him about Taylor Swift, but you know we got to keep going. All right. <laughs> We've got another great show for you today. I'm excited. We've got icons just left, right, front, and center. John Cameron Mitchell is going Woo! to be here, of course. Hedwig and the Angry Witch. Uh, inch, yeah. uh, Shrill is all going on. He's got a musical podcast. Isaac, you're going to see his sit-down interview with Viola Davis. They let me on the same couch with Viola Davis. <laughs> that happened. Can you imagine? But up next, two icons are going to do fire tapes. <laughs> Now, um, we can't be the only people who, when Taylor Swift did whatever she did, um, it was like, okay, how is Bossip? Yep. Going That's not the this? second thought. Oh, my God, because those Bossip headlines. Mm -hmm. I mean, my goodness. Um, here's a tweet about it from Kirsten Baptiste. I'm convinced Bossip has a whole bag of sativa ready and waiting before they sit down to do those headlines. <laughs> I just would love to see the process. They're, they're so inventive. Well, we've, so and good. we talked to them yeah, about it yeah, on, the on the show. I will say this. Whatever they're doing, it works. So if it's sativa, Bravo. whatever, yeah, keep doing it. Keep, keep at doing. it, keep at it. Okay, this first fire tweet comes from Nick, who I believe is a student. Nick, you tweeted, none of my assignments are done, but I sure am. Woo! Oh, yes. I forgot that it's May. May, the last few weeks of the semester. I, I, I feel like there's a student Twitter gets very joyful. Right? Y'all get but, real hype. Well, first, first stressed, yeah. right? Because a lot of final stuff, yeah. especially if you're in college. Deprived. Right, but then real hype. Then a little wild. Yeah. Then a little wild. I can't relate at all to that. <laughs> Ryan Jordan, you tweeted, animals are wild as fuck because they do not talk, but they are doing shit. That's the kind of attitude I'm trying to have, you Did know? You I'm trying to not talk, but I'm trying to do shit. Did you see that video the other day of a girl whose like little sister has a parrot? Or parakeet? No, you not seen this? Yeah, I stayed off the timeline oh, yesterday. Okay. I did not. <laughs> um, and there's a video of her and her little sister, and apparently she's, she's trained her parrot or parakeet <laughs> to attack anytime the little girl screams at someone. <laughs> and so in the video, so if you imagine like Isaac is the sister and I, I'm just like, the girl just goes, ah, and the bird just flew. Bird, what's funny is that the bird is minding its business. Like it doesn't look like it's paying attention. And it is full on like, I love is it. Is it like Dracarys? Yes. Does she say like Dracarys? Literally. Is there like a word? I stand. I stand an attack parrot. I love it. Okay, this next tweet comes from Sloan. You tweeted what I thought. Oh, neat. Baby corn is actually the same species as regular corn. It is just harvested when it, harvested when it is premature. I always thought it was a different plant. What I fucking said out loud with my <laughs> mouth. Did you know that baby corn is actually like baby <laughs> corn? <laughs> I relate to this one so hard. What were you let me tell you guys, it's pretty smart up here, but something happens by the time it gets to down here. It gets a little... 
Yeah. Because although, mm, that happens. Even just in describing that, it, it went better in my head. Yeah. It went better. The other question I have is, is that true? I'm assuming so. Is that what fuck? No. Somebody let us know. If you know where baby corn comes from, <laughs> you, let us know using the hashtag AM to DM. John, you tweeted me. Do you have anything stronger? Lemonade stand child. No. <laughs> I just would love it if the kid was like, yeah, 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 my nigga. Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Oh, I got some red Kool-Aid yes! back here. In the I got back. some extra sugar. <laughs> I just don't need that kid that would pour like extra scoops yeah, yeah, of the yeah. lemonade and then be wild. Oh, wild. God bless you. I had Kool-Aid growing up, mm-hmm. but never sugar. So literally, we, we drank, yep, it was the fucking I drank that worst. W- once by accident. It was basically red dye. water with food coloring red in it. Red Yeah, it was some bullshit. It That's was some nasty. real bullshit. I'm so sorry that I appreciate happened to you. That. I'm Thank so sorry, you. baby. Thank you. Okay, tweet of the day comes from the wonderful Crystal. You tweeted, I am getting my chart read by an astrologer, and she said, I'm glad you said you went there because I definitely would have recommended it. <laughs> well, listen. The stars don't lie. <laughs> the thing where you have to be worried about, though, is if you go to your astrologer. Uh-huh. I'm sorry, if you go to your therapist. And they're like, and the therapist is like, you need to see an astrologer. That's what maybe you need to see a different therapist. Just throwing that out there. Fair. All right, coming okay. up, uh, BuzzFeed News reporter. Is this correct? Are we going to Viola Davis next? Okay, up next, my interview with award-winning actor Viola Davis. I'm sorry. Welcome back to The Sit Down. It is a very special one. I am joined by Oscar winner, Tony winner, Emmy winner, Viola Davis. Oh, How are you? I am so good. I wish I had the energy you have right now, but uh, I'm awesome. Yeah, you are awesome. That's enough. <laughs> I'm pretty amped. I'm so excited. It's such a joy to meet you. We're here at the Tribeca Film Festival. Yes. It's, uh, you know, the launch of your new project, A yes. Touch of Sugar. A touch of sugar. For those that aren't familiar with that phrase, what's the story behind the title? Well, the story, be, uh, sugar, is in reference to diabetes. Mm-hmm. That's how my people um, <laughs> in South Carolina, as well as a lot of people, refer to diabetes. You mm-hmm. know, such and such got the sugar. Mm-hmm. You know, she got the sugar. A touch of the sugar. And that's what the documentary is. The documentary is confronting the diabetes crisis in America. The 30 million adults who have type 2 diabetes and the 84 million that have pre-diabetes, and many who don't know it. Yeah, an incredible epidemic. A lot of people yes. walking around not knowing they have it. How has diabetes affected you and your family? Well, it's uh, my two sisters have type 2 diabetes. Mm. My great aunt, her both, both of her legs were amputated before she succumbed to the disease. Mm. My paternal grandmother. I was diagnosed with pre-diabetes a year and a half ago. So it, it's affected my family in a big way. Mm. It's just something that runs in the family. It's like my mom says, you know, the sugar run in the family. Mm. You know, and so it sort of was the, the thing that it was a fate that you just waited to come into your life. Or you just accepted it. It's something that you're very familiar with. The, the, yes. the, the film tells the stories of so many people yeah. that live with diabetes. Was there a, a single story or one of the stories that really struck a chord with you? Yeah, Shaniqua's uh, story, um, her story really struck a chord with Mm -hmm. me. And it's because her 11-year-old son was diagnosed with diabetes. Mm. And she starts to cry, she said. But after he was diagnosed, it made her confront her own diabetes diagnosis. Only after did it. You know, and what it speaks to is the self-care that is prevalent within 
you know, this disease diagnosis. It's, I think it's just something that people feel isn't serious. Mm -hmm. They don't understand that it permeates every aspect of your health Mm -hmm. and that it is, at the end of the day, a disease. And it can be massively expensive, right? The cost of insulin in this country is insulting. What did you learn about the healthcare system while making this film? Well, listen, what I've always known about the healthcare system is that, you know, um, and I'm not an expert. This is just my opinion because I'm an actor who just narrates the film. But you are holding the story. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) But I will say just growing up in poverty, the lack of access to proper health care and proper preventative um, methods Um, to help with this disease is absolutely something that is lost with um, in poverty. The access to fresh food and, and what they call food deserts and impoverished communities, the lack of being able to see a healthcare provider or even have one on a regular basis that can check your glucose levels mm-hmm. and um, just a lack of support just in general. You're also producing, you're doing so much right now. You're also producing- That's why I'm tired. Incredible film, which is fair, again. <laughs> and you've got a lot to do today. Yes. But you're producing this film, Emmanuel. Yes. About the shooting. Can you tell me a little bit about why that was an important story for you to help tell? Because I met the family and I sat with them mm. after I presented them at the award at the Glamour Mag um, event mm-hmm. about three years ago, mm-hmm. it was. And I saw firsthand the devastation of um, that mass shooting. Um, And I just couldn't sleep. I couldn't. I couldn't sleep. I saw the effects of post-traumatic stress disorder. I saw the effects of people who will never, ever be the same again. I saw the effects and the devastation of racism and hate. And I know that we live in a hashtag trending environment where stories are news for five seconds. Mm. And then all of a sudden something else comes into place that makes you forget about it. And I literally knew that probably in another couple of weeks I can uh, mention Emmanuel or Dylan Roof Mm -hmm. or or the Victor or the AME church. And people would say, what? Who? And I don't think that that's fair. I think it should be tattooed and people's me- uh, memory as to the, the effects of violence, of hate in America. Mm. I wanted people, people to remember. To make sure that they never forgot what Absolutely. happened there. And also the incredible part of that story, forgiveness that took place there and the families that were affected by Yeah, I think that it. sometimes people misinterpret forgiveness. Talk on that. I think that people have a very, I think they have an image of it that forgiveness is, oh, I've forgotten about it, I'm over it, I'm good. And they mm. sort of sew it up in a bag. They don't understand what forgiveness is, is, um, is a method to help the survivors to move on, to not live and be defined absolutely by that moment, I think. And I think that what also people forget is that it's a process. And I think that people feel that there's a look to forgiveness, I think they probably see the look of maybe a priest, you know, with a smile on his face, looking up to God. Um, Forgiveness is giving up all hope of a different past is what it is. It's trying not to uh, change it, not to manipulate it, understand that it happened, but I got to live afterwards, but I'm still going to be angry. Mm -hmm. Make no mistake. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to forget. I'm not going to sometimes rage Mm -hmm. and, um, and I think 
that that's what they did. These are people who are survivors. That is so beautifully said. Mm -hmm. And I got to say, forgiveness is not forgetting. That is such a beautiful no. statement. Mm -hmm. I want to talk a little bit about Shonda Rhimes. I oh, got to bring yeah. up Shonda. That's my girl. That is your girl. What does Shonda Rhimes mean to you? Shonda Rhimes is a disruptor. Shonda Rhimes is a brilliant artist. Mm. Shonda Rhimes has redefined what I said in my Emmy speech of what it means to be black, what it means to be a leading lady, what it means to be feminine. Mm -hmm. um, she has used her art to really um, change how we view um, people of color in the narrative in Hollywood. That's how she's changed, changed the game. Um, listen, to this day, I don't see a lot of characters like Annalise Keating and Olivia Pope on mm -hmm. TV. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The expansiveness of it, the, 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 I always say you can't, you can't park the car and absolutely know who Olivia Pope or Annalise Keating mm. are. Mm -hmm. you know, um, as, as well as I'm, I'm no, no, but those, no, those, those two, two characters, characters, absolutely. Maybe I'm being a little narcissistic. No, not at all. I, I, they, I mean, they're very much a big deal. Are there other women that, that give you hope, though, that, that, that kind of do that same thing that Shonda does? Do you think that you see a next generation that's coming up, or, or do you see Hollywood, obviously, absolutely. with a long way to go? But who else inspires you? Well, a lot of emerging artists inspire me, people who are unknown, people who are writing scripts out there who don't have a name, and a lot of them who don't have a way in all they're waiting for is an opportunity. Mm. Those are the people who are gonna bring us into the future. It's not the people who are necessarily even, not necessarily, mm -hmm. that's operative word, Key. who are within the community, who are just going with the status quo, mm -hmm. who are just going with what they feel makes money or puts or put butts in the seat. Mm -hmm. They are the people who just wanna have a vision for the future. Mm -hmm that involves and reflects the way culture looks now. Brady Bunch is no longer acceptable. <laughs> yeah, amen. Families don't look like that anymore. I don't you think the culture looked like that back then. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. But, but that's a part of the culture that we feel, you know, it's, it's the Wonder Bread, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. advertised with the, with the mother with the A-line skirt <laughs> and she had the hollandaise sauce down to, you know, to, and we need to blow the lid off of that. Absolutely. Really when that's what you see reflected. reflected in the mirror, yeah, you want to mm -hmm. break it. Build a new mirror. A hundred percent. Obviously, you're very close how to get away with murder. You're very close with the cast. Season six is coming. Very oh, excited. That's You got to talk to ABC. Oh, well, let me, about that. Let me no, ask you this. Let me ask you. How, would you want it to see? How many seasons would you want to see go on for? That's not a really, really good question for me. <laughs> you know, depending on what, what day you can, you, you know, sometimes after a 16-hour day, I'm like, no, I don't want any more. Get me out of here. And then once I've had a nap, I'm like, oh, yeah, we could go eight for, more seasons. Forever. You're like, right now, I just want to be in a canoe, in a peaceful lake. Oh, a canoe. Um, deserted island. Yeah, right, exactly. mangoes. Yeah, just chilling, having a good time. I got it. I have to ask you this because I love quarter. Corduroy, and you wrote a sequel to Corduroy. Yeah. You dedicated it to your daughter, Genesis. Oh. Incredible. What, is there something your fans would be surprised by your parenting? Is, 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 there, is there just like a, a way you approach being a mother? You know what? I always say this, and I hate saying this too. I think that people don't think that I'm fun. 
Really? I am a blast. <laughs> yes. I mean, let me tell you something. You would want to be in my house. I'm trying to tell people, you need to come on vacation with me. Yes. You will laugh and you will have a couple of really great cocktails. Yes. Um, with no sugar in them. No sugar. Sugar-free cocktails. And um, seriously about that one. Yeah. And I, um, I feel that I have a fun approach to life because I, I want some levity. So much of my childhood... I had big problems that I had to deal with every day of not having food and feeling every day was a fight for survival, mm. that so much of my childhood was lost. Mm. I want Genesis to have fun. I want her to have happy memories of levity and joy and smiles and a fun mom. And yeah, I was going to say, memories of her mother smiling mm. and her mother yeah. laughing and not hardship, but joy. Yeah, absolutely. That is such a gift to mm. give your daughter. Absolutely. That is incredible. Just real quick, I, I, we want to get to a game. I'm going to ask you a speed round of questions Oh my! right God. before we do that. Oh, don't worry. Don't worry. Very low intensity. Very okay. low intensity. All right. Before though, did you grow up with Corduroy? Was that book very special yeah. to you? It was like, it was one of the bear. ones. You know, you always want your bears and your animals to come to life. Yes. You know. Yes, you know I you do. I, I, I mean, I thought they did. All my daughter's animals have a voice. They come to life. They <laughs> argue. They fight. They do all kinds of things. I love it. I love it so much. All right, here we go. You ready? It's oh kind of speed round. You're going to just tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. Look, look, look at me. Trust me. Trust me. Have, I, right. have I led you astray yet? I don't yet? know you, so you tell me to you trust don't know. me. I'm telling you. All right. Just through this. All right, all right. go ahead. First thing you do when you wake up. Wash my face. <laughs> Wash my face. Last thing you do before you go to bed. Get in my massage chair. All right. Get in the massage that chair. That is such relax. a rich woman question. No, that's... An answer, I mean. You don't need to apologize yeah, that's, that's for it. having a massage Who's chair. Good on you. I got a massage chair. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Who do you text the most? My friend, Elisa. Elisa. Absolute. Which music artist do you listen to on repeat? Probably Nina Simone. Nina Simone. The use of that song in a manual, by the way, incredible, mm -hmm. incredible trailer there. All right. After all these years of playing a lawyer, could you get yourself out of trouble? Hell no. <laughs> I, I mean, you don't even know. You don't want to be with me if you get stopped by the police. I will turn you in. Don't give me your social security number. Don't give me your so. Don't give me your license. You're like I was like he did it. I'm over here being like trust me. You're like don't trust me at all. <laughs> one last one. One last one here. Actor or actress that you'd love to work with. Oh, I guess, uh, oh okay. I would want to work with Meryl again. Yeah, because I love her so much. You want to work with Meryl? Only again. to kiss her cheeks. Only to kiss her. Only to see her. Only to see her. All right. Well, thank you so much, Viola. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. As she mentioned already, you can go to touchofsugar.com to learn more of Viola's story and more about how you can work to prevent diabetes. Thank you so much. Hello, my queens. I'm here with John Cameron Mitchell, creator, writer, and star of Anthem Homunculus, a new musical podcast produced by Topic. Good morning. Hi. Hi, it's good to see you. Um, so it's uh, Anthem Homunculus is a yep. musical podcast. Yes. Tell us about that. Well, Anthem is the name of the uh, series, and Homunculus is the season. Okay, because it's, like, it's like an anthology. Kind yeah, of. American uh, Horror Story, you know, bitch or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> They're running out of things. Um, but it is, uh, it originally came out of an idea for a Hedvig 
and the Angry Inch sequel. I love that. Okay. But it was too much, it was more autobiography, so it felt a little bit like a wig on top of a wig, okay. which, <laughs> you know, I've done before. That's true. Uh, but in this case, it was unwieldy. And it's really an alternative autobiography. It's like, what would I be like if I never left my small town? Okay, back in Kansas. Back in Kansas. Uh-huh. Um, and was a dangerous liberal shut-in and uh, was out of insurance and had a brain tumor. What would happen? And I would probably have to create a live telethon to crowdfund my care, as mm. so many people do right. in this stupid country. Yeah. And uh, so in this case, it's... It's what if, mm-hmm. and uh, what if Glenn Close played my mom? Right. What if Cynthia Erivo was my baby mama? I love it. I love it. What if uh, Dennis O'Hare and Patti LuPone uh-huh. played uh, relatives? Incredible. So Brian Weller, my composer, and I worked on a five-and-a-half-hour musical that takes place over ten episodes, and we're now into the uh, fourth. Okay. Okay, and I, I love you mentioned uh, some of the incredible co-stars. Um, I, I've got to ask about, first of all, Patti LuPone just joined Twitter recently. I know. Um, so, you know, we, we know so much of her as the, the force of right. nature that voice. is Patti LuPone and yeah. the voice, oh my God, and the energy. What is she like when you're working with her in a podcast setting? You know, she's what you want her to be because okay. she's fun, mm-hmm. she's loud when she needs to be, she's sensitive, she's okay. empathetic. Uh-huh. I had... Uh, New Year's with her, you know, the, the year, what's his name, got okay. voted yeah, in. The, yeah, all right. And, the uh, dark year. The yeah, dark year. the dark year. And we went into the park, and she had brought cakes for the, you know, the cops on, on who were just sitting and not able to, you know, celebrate. Uh-huh. And, and she, we went out into the Central Park, and it was midnight, and, and she, scre- she screamed, fuck that guy <laughs> uh, at midnight. And I was like, if only we could follow yeah. this banner <laughs> over the barricades. Uh-huh. And she also is up for stuff. She's mm-hmm. up for new stuff. She's like, John, yeah. I need to break yeah. it up and try new stuff. She's been in London lately. And yeah. Yeah. the great thing about podcasts, I could tell her to do a line and you know, shout a line oh, into okay. her iPhone and, uh-huh. and email it to me. And then I Boom. drop it in. Yeah, it's like a new way of working that... I'm encouraging people to think about. Cool. Yeah. That's really neat. Um, so, of course, Hedwig and the Angry Inch was my introduction to you and, and your rules of wonderful work. Um, it premiered off-Broadway 21 years ago. It's okay, girl. It's all right, baby. It's all right. You still slain. You still slain. Look at you. You look good, boo. Luckily, there's a big <laughs> blowout. of. Li- I like the lighting here. The lighting is very kind on AMG. Mm-hmm. They're very it's good like to me. ring light. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, you said you would, you're not sure you would be able to produce a show called Hedwig and the Angry Inch now off-Broadway. What, what's changed? Well, I, I mean, the funny thing is, you know, back then we couldn't be on Broadway mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because... Drag was considered not yeah. Broadway. It was too not, gay. For it was theater. too gay. It was too. It was low class. Mm. And punk rock was not Broadway mm-hmm. either. Mm-hmm. And rock and roll wasn't really on Broadway. So it was those things mm-hmm. that didn't allow it. And we we knew, mm-hmm. you know, we Hedwig, Stephen Trask, and I, we made it for love, mm-hmm. you know, and we developed it at Squeezebox, which was the drag punk club, and and watched Antony, you know, who's now a noni and. Laverne Cox and and Jane County and Mistress Formica and these incredible mm-hmm. trans and drag performers mm-hmm. teaching me mm-hmm. how to be fierce. Mm-hmm. And I was just like a Broadway guy and I wanted to bust out, mm-hmm. you know, and I was tired of 
of what I was doing. And this was, it was the time of AIDS. It was, it was, uh, there was anger, there was creativity, there was beauty. And uh, the character, I never, I don't think of as, as trans mm -hmm. because the character is forced okay. into gender right. reassignment right. by her boyfriend and by the government. Right. So in a way, it's almost like forced by the binarchy in mm -hmm. a way to like, you have to be this or right. this if you're gonna love. Right. Yeah. And when dropped in the middle of the Midwest, mm -hmm. abandoned, penniless, <clears throat> looking at the wall come down, that's when the real transformation happens. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So right now, I can't, do, I mean, I can't do Hedwig again. Mm -hmm. In fact, I'm doing a tour called The Origin of Love oh, right okay. now. And we're doing three shows in New York uh, during World Pride. Okay. Um, but it's, it's not that we, can't, we couldn't do it today. It's uh -huh. just that people are looking at it in a more complex way, which right. is good. Which is good. Because now we have the non-binary movement. Right which is saying, no, I don't need to be what society tells me to right. be, man or woman. I don't need to be defined. Right. In fact, I'm going to define myself. Mm -hmm. So I think if Hansel was coming up now, mm -hmm. be a he might answer. be non-binary. He yeah. might be they. He, I would probably be too. Mm -hmm. If you were yeah. 16 now, we Absolutely. might be freed up mm -hmm. by stepping out of the binary. Yeah. Absolutely. So there's a kind of opportunity now to break things right. up, yeah. which is not negative to me. It's great. I love that. I love yeah. your embrace of that as well. Um, of course, I have to ask about Shrill. Um, yes, which is a good show. <laughs> it's so good. You guys did such a wonderful job. Um, we love Aidy Bryant. Yes. We love Lindy West. Um, and but we fucking hate your boss. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you are. So but you know, somebody's got to be horrible yeah. for sympathy to be <laughs> laid upon Aidy Bryant. What was? What was? I'm it playing like? two terrible people. This tomorrow or tonight, I'm on the Good Fight playing okay. uh, my sort of Milo Yiannopoulos clone. Felix Staples, and I'm returning by pub public demand to torture Christine Baranski <laughs> and Kush Jumbo, who has the best name in TV. And yeah. I'm playing two horrible wow. gay bosses. My worst gay nightmares. Your worst gay because, nightmares. Because, you know, assimilation, the price of that is gay assholes. <laughs> Trans assholes. The price of acceptance. Queer Republicans. <laughs> Queer goddamn Republicans. Oh my God. Uh, I was going to say it was gay mediocrity, but I think gay yes, assholes but is worse. way better. Way Villains. better. I wasn't ready for that. You're like, ah. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> like we living something? Um, I did want to ask you with Shrill. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's based obviously on Lindy West's book yeah. and her own experiences. And yeah. she wrote for and The Being Stranger. a big girl in a small right. world. In a small world. Too small for her, but we're going to learn, y'all. Yeah. Um, and... Your character is maybe inspired by Dan Savage? Is it, well, was that her, something you were thinking about? Her, I wasn't thinking about it, but mm -hmm. her boss was Dan Savage. Mm -hmm. And I purposely didn't read that okay. part of the book because I didn't want to be influenced by that. Uh -huh. My character is, is a former, you know, grunge yeah. performer and ha probably had a band. And, you know, he can't be a bad person. My nails are painted. Yes, in the 90s. <laughs> you don't remember the 90s. <laughs> so good. Um, and so it's a fun role to yeah. play, but they, Ali Rushfield is the other wonderful person, uh, producer of that. And they, I'm going to go meet with them on Friday to talk about where my character's going, which <laughs> shows don't usually do. They right. just kind of kill you off and make mm -hmm. you do stuff. And this is female-led. It's the best bosses I've had. Good. The Good Fight is, is amazing, too. Yeah. It's full of Broadway people, yeah. so we're all yeah. very, like, Living. chummy and cute. Mm -hmm. um, 
It's when you go, and we're shooting in Portland, which is a great town, mm -hmm. you know. So it's it's different from the L.A. Or, or New York vibe, and it's more like, how are you feeling? What do you want to do? I love it. I yeah. love it. Well, I love seeing what's coming out of uh, out of that work experience, and that you're doing so much. Thank you're doing you. So much. Yeah. Thank and you. I would tell people, you know, for Anthem Homunculus, mm -hmm. uh, we've got two episodes coming out a week. We have mm -hmm. a soundtrack out now. Okay. It's on a new podcast app mm -hmm. called Luminary. Okay, I've heard of Luminary. We wanna be mm -hmm. like the Netflix of podcasts Ooh. and do more uh, ambitious stuff with a, a subscription model. And mm -hmm. Lena Dunham and Trevor Noah and Conan O'Brien have new shows on there too. Okay, shout yeah. out to them. Yeah. All right, well guys, you can listen to Anthem Homunculus on Luminary and a lot of other great podcasts too as well. Up next, more AM to DM. Oh, so good. Welcome back. Here's a tweet from BuzzFeed News. Katie McHugh was a member of the alt-right and known for her racist tweets. Now she has a message for anyone in the movement. Get out while you can. BuzzFeed News politics reporter Rosie Gray, who wrote this story, joins us now. Good morning, Rosie. Good morning. Thanks you for thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. Let's ask, let's start here. What is Katie McHugh most famous for? Mm. Who did she used to be? Well, she used to be someone who was working in conservative media. So she started her career at The Daily Caller, and then she moved to Breitbart News. Um, and she was kind of known as one of sort of the most controversial people at Breitbart. Um, she was never a particularly high-level person there, but her tweets were often very racist, very bigoted, in a way that, you know, would have probably um, resulted in professional consequences at other places. Right. Um, in your piece, you talk about a shift that took place within the alt-right movement and at Breitbart after Trump was elected in 2016. What was that shift? And, and in particular, how did it impact Katie? Well, as far as the alt-right portion of that, um, you know, over the last few years, white nationalists have really tried to rebrand themselves as a little bit more mainstream and sort of try to kind of infiltrate mainstream institutions and work within institutions instead of just kind of marginalizing themselves to the outside. Um, and Katie's story sort of plays into that. You know, this was someone who totally admits that she was a white nationalist, that she was a racist, yet she was working at conservative media outlets that were not necessarily, you know, explicitly white nationalists that were considered just sort of part of the conservative movement. Okay, and, and, and she then tweeted and she got fired from Breitbart, correct? She did. In 2017, um, she uh, did an Islamophobic tweet that uh, was sort of finally the last straw. That was the last straw. And, and you, in your piece, you write, where do you go once you've become too toxic for Breitbart News? Hmm. So where did Katie go and, and where is she now? Well, for a while, she sort of lingered around the fringes of conservative media. Um, she worked for Charles C. Johnson's Got News site, which um, is no longer uh, no longer going. Um, she worked for WorldNet Daily very briefly. But then she kind of found herself, you know, basically unemployable uh, in media jobs. Since then, she's worked some restaurant jobs and things like that, and she has uh, left Washington. She's left Washington. Well, here's a tweet about your story from BuzzFeed News editor-in-chief Ben Smith. He said, uh, the extent to which the alt-right infiltrated the Washington conserv conservative establishment in the first half of this decade is astounding. Um, and and you've, you've spoken a bit about that with us already. Um, what else did you learn about how the alt-right operates, how it works to, I guess, kind of normalize itself? Well, there's been this big effort on the part of people like Richard Spencer to sort of put a respectable face on white nationalism um, and sort of make it something that, you know, was just kind of like an alternative to conservatism in some way and try to appeal to more people in that way. Um, and I think that's something that really happened over the last few years, um, trying to sort of make it something that wasn't 
associated with, you know, Stormfront or sort of scary neo-Nazis. Of course, the ideology remained the same, but it was sort of the image that was, um, that there was an effort to change. Okay, and now in your piece, uh, again, you, you kind of catch up with Katie towards where she's at now, and she, in, in that tweet that we read to start off, she says, if you're in this movement, get out while you still can. What do you think that says about where the alt-right movement is in 2019? Mm. Well, as a movement, as a sort of coherent movement of people calling themselves the alt-right, it's largely sort of broken up. There's been tons of infighting. It's not nearly as influential as it once was. Um, but the ideas uh, and the politics of it have actually have managed to go mainstream um, into right-wing politics today. Uh, so on, on some level, the, move, the movement has been a failure. On other levels, it has managed to accomplish some of its goals. Okay, and, and one last question. Um, towards the end of your piece, you write, would Katie uh, regret it if she still had friends, still had a writing job? Which is a great question. Um, and so, yeah, th- this a piece like this does pose certain challenges to a reporter. Um, how do you report on someone where, you know, there might be a scenario in which it might just be better for us to forget about them altogether? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question, and it's a really challenging thing as a reporter who writes about um, these sorts of topics. Uh, I, I think it is it is sort of ambiguous. Um, I don't know, and I don't think anyone else knows, what would have happened if she hadn't been fired, you know, if she hadn't fallen out with her friends, and, and what would have happened to her beliefs and ideology after that. Would she have just kept going on that path? I'm not sure. Um, but, you know, I think the story is very clear-eyed about uh, who she has been, who she was, and who she is. Yeah, and, and we will be tweeting it out so people can read it for themselves right now. Rosie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. All right, friends, up next you get to see Chantal's sit-down interview with Michael Good and <laughs> Megan Good and Michael Ely. I just made them into <laughs> one person. <laughs> and this is The Sit Down. I'm here with actors Megan Good and Michael Ely, stars of the new film thriller, The Intruder. So excited to have y'all. Good morning, how are you? Good. Y'all, I, I'm just such a huge fan of both of you. And this is not the first film you two have done together. You right. did 2012's Think Like a Man. Yeah. Huge fan of that. So what was it like doing a thriller for the first time? I mean, it, this was a totally different experience because in Think Like a Man and Think Like a Man 2, we really didn't have any scenes together. Like, I think we had maybe a few and we didn't talk to each other or anything. <laughs> so um, we really got to really get to know each other on the press for Think Like a okay. Man 2. And so everything about this experience has been, like, just fun. Just, like, we've had a good time, like, yeah. a bunch of big kids stuck in a house getting cabin fever and mm-hmm. creating something interesting. Yeah. What she said. <laughs> I love it. Now, you play a couple that's so excited. You just purchased your dream home. You're yeah. super stoked. But all of a sudden, you have a little interference from an intruder played by actor Dennis Quaid. Yeah. Now, now, were Sorry, you nervous? Did you refer to it as a little interference? Yeah, a little interference, but also okay. it, was a, it was a lot going on. You yeah. know, just, you just <laughs> kind of got in your way. Kind of stole your joy yeah. for a moment. So yeah. what was it like? Like, were you on edge after filming this movie? Like, did you beef up security in your own homes? What was that like? <laughs> I was, uh, my wife and I were renovating our house and I told my, my, my wife about the movie and she was like, so, so do we need a panic room? <laughs> and I was like, um, I don't know if we have the room for it, but, um, but it's not a bad idea, you know what I mean? Like, I, I get it. And I think this movie will definitely create those kinds of conversations right. in terms of, you know, like, uh, you know, who are we buying the house from? It's, right. It goes beyond like what's behind these walls. It goes to... Who, well, let's do some research on who we buy in the house from, because 
you know, perhaps it's you know, it's just it's People important look, to look into somebody. Interesting these <laughs> yeah, days. Do a little deep you know? dive and see who's yeah. you know yeah. at least there. Yeah, yeah. for yeah. sure. I yeah. love it. So one thing that I really love about this film, like. Dennis Quay, like he like hoards and he's like super obsessed with his home and he doesn't want to give it up. Right. So is there anything in your life that you're just like, I can't can't let it go, I gotta hold on to it, it's mine. Uh, I can't give it up for you nothing. Ask my husband, that's a lot of things. Okay. I tend to collect stuff. I mean, I have like <laughs> dolls from like when I was like nine and like clothes from like my grandmother. I mean, I keep and save a lot of stuff. Okay. So um I just started watching what is it called? The fix what is it called? Uh, fix wrapper? No, it's it's almost like that. Marie Kondo? Yes. 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 And so I'm like trying to see the things that give me joy and get mm-hmm. rid of the other yes. stuff. Elise. The problem is too many things give me joy. Get a lot of joy. <laughs> yeah. Clearly. Anything for you, Michael? Um, no, I try to purge every six months. Okay. A I try cleansing. to purge every okay. six months. I, I can't I can't feel like I have growth mm-hmm. if I don't let go of certain oh, things. That. That's good. You know, like there's like maybe one or two things that I have from my childhood. Yeah. Um, but also, like, having a son has kind of helped me kind of relive certain things. Like, when I got him Star Wars sheets, it was, okay. like, it was epic because I had Star Wars sheets. And you got to have the joy. So, yeah, every now and again, I'll just go lay in that bed, you know what I mean? Because it's, it's pretty fun. Yeah. That's hilarious. Do you think, like, with the emergence of all these amazing films, like Jordan Pills, Us, and Marseille, yeah. Martin's Little, that Hollywood is finally seeing that black actors can lead and hold films on their own? I think what's happening now is it's becoming uh, more common. Yeah. You know, it's mm-hmm. becoming more commonplace. There was a time when, and Megan and I both know this time, when, like, if you had a movie coming out, you had to beg people to please support. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. there was only going to be one movie yeah. Before with black media. folks for the year. Yeah. Like, right. that was, <laughs> there was one movie coming out. And, um, you know, now I think, you know, you're starting to see, I mean, Little opened a month ago. So little opens a month before us, and yeah. you know, like it's it's, or like there's us, and then there's little two weeks later, and then there's us like three weeks later. So there's always going to be um, there's a lot more of it happening now. I think so. It's becoming more common. It's still not perfect. It's not even, but it's right. common. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of Michael, being Mary Jane just aired its final episode recently. And spoiler alert. Mary Jane, you tied the knot in the end. So what was it like shooting those final scenes, that final like moments, having the part of that show? Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> you know, I think when I signed on, I was hoping that that would be the end. Okay. Like, like that, that the audience would kind of get this moment that they had kind of been waiting for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an interesting journey that she takes to get to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I was an unlikely uh, candidate for marriage. <laughs> um, but I think that also is what made me um, the right candidate mm-hmm. because I think a lot of times when you do get married, it's, it's um, you know, it's not the person you're kind of anticipating. Okay. I've heard so many stories where people were like, how did you two meet? I was not paying attention mm-hmm. to him. Right. I was not thinking about him. And he ended up being the love of your life. So I think uh, I thought that was special. Um, the scenes that we shot, I don't know how you can tell, we were laughing uncontrollably throughout those scenes. First of all, Gab is probably one of the funniest people to work with. And so she had me laughing constantly, Mm -hmm. constantly. She's hilarious. She's hilarious. She's very funny. But we somehow, it worked out. It worked, (laughs) the camera caught the moments when we weren't laughing because we were dying laughing. 
I loved it. It gave me the ending I needed. So kudos to y'all. I, I'm, yes. That's what I'm glad it you did. It did. I was like, yes, thank I you. feel yeah. you did that. You did a good job. So I thank you for that, of thank course. You. So switching gears here a bit, Megan, can we please talk about your hair for a second? Your oh. hair is amazing. Thank you. Like you recently debuted this at the like late last year. What yeah. inspired the look and made you want to step into the blonde? Uh, you know what? For the past ten years, just whenever I'm feeling inspired and I want to express myself, I change my hair. Okay. So whether it's dreads or color or pixie cut or whatever it is, I just go with whatever I'm feeling in the season. And right now, I'm just feeling light blonde. Yes. Ever shave it? I would. Okay. I would totally do it. Yeah. Awesome. So yeah. our producer, Mackenzie, <laughs> she recently just got her hair cut on a cute little cut. Yeah. So do you have any advice for her and all the girls out here that have short haircuts themselves? There it is. <laughs> haircut. Wait, where'd it go? Oh, I didn't see it. There it oh, is. Oh, yeah. Oh, I just saw her walking yes, in here. Yes. Um, no, I think it. it's beautiful. I think it's beautiful. I love like that kind of look. I feel like, you know, just embrace it. Mm-hmm. Enjoy it. Have fun with it. And um you know, see wherever you get inspired next and just Absolutely. keep going. Yeah. And speaking of being inspired, you both have been in the industry for so long. I've been a fan of y'all's for a long time. What haven't you done that you want to get your, your toes into next? That you're just like, I, I am itching to do this next in my career. I want to be the female version of Blade. Yes. I want to do more action. and well, I want to do- happen now. Yeah. I mean, I you did some action that. in this. You were, you were kicking butt. You yeah. did what you had to do. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's going to happen. Yeah. I can see that. I see Female it. blade. Thanks. Yeah, that's dope. I, um, <laughs> um, I, I think for me, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think whatever really kind of challenges me, mm-hmm. um, I definitely would love to do a big action pick mm-hmm. before it's all said and done. Yeah. I don't want to be like 70. <laughs> all, yeah. You know what I mean? Trying to do action <laughs> at 70, but... Um, I'm I'm ready for that now. Okay. Yeah, I'd be ready for that now. Awesome. Well, yeah. let's speak into the universe. It's like a born identity. Yes, I see Ooh, it. Or a Bond. Would yeah. you step into a Bond role? No. No, you're <laughs> like, I'm good. No, I don't want to be Bond. Identity. Okay. I'd rather be like, you know, Reggie. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I would be Reggie, Reggie. Okay. instead of Bond. You know. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Well, Megan and Michael, congratulations on the movie. Thank you so much for joining Thank us. Thank you. All right, y'all. The Intruder premieres nationwide on Friday, May 3rd. Stay tuned for my AM to DM. Michelle Stevens tweeted this about Isaac's interview with Viola Davis, which was a lovely conversation. Uh, I can't wait to watch Viola Davis's documentary about diabetes. My grandmother had diabetes but died after suffering a stroke. Yeah. Um, there are yeah. so many incredible stories in right. this documentary, yeah. and so it is definitely worth your time. It's mm-hmm. incredible. And like Viola said, uh, a kind of... Uh, underreported, under-talked about story, right. and under-talked about disease. But everything she had to say, like just gems fall out of her That's mouth. Really when she talked about... Forgiveness is not forgetting. Right. It was such a strong moment. Like yeah. uh, overall, just sitting on the couch with it, that was like I was like, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe this is happening. <laughs> and then it was over. It's really good. Something you know, I am very careful about uh, saying, you know, describing black people as articulate or eloquent because we know those are somewhat loaded. I would say she is a powerful and profound speaker. Yeah, that just was consistently one right. of the part of the conversation because I could talk to her all day. Right. I wanted to ask her about the speeches she gives. The yeah, speeches she, that she gives are right. just incredible. Right. Wonderful acceptance speeches. All right. Uh, Joe Lee tweeted, rejecting 
Breaking gender binaryism is the single best thing I did for myself, even with all the frustration it brings. I appreciate this conversation, AM to DM. Thank you. Uh, and thank you, that. Jolie, uh, for watching the you. show. Absolutely. You. Yeah, I love uh, one point that John Cameron Mitchell made was that, you know, if we were, if he and I uh, were, you know, kids now, if we were 14 mm-hmm. years old now, um, the likelihood that maybe we would be embracing different pronouns. Mm-hmm. Not that that's not possible now. I might decide to change up the game on you girls anytime now, you know. But it's interesting that, like, yeah, when I, when, for example, when I uh, was coming up um, in high school um, and in college, I don't think I knew until I was in college really that, like, bisexuality really existed. I didn't, I, I, it was like you were straight mm-hmm. or you were homosexual, actually. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of where we were in language. And so it is wonderful and thrilling and, and freeing, uh, particularly to see young people, like, have other options and to feel empowered to think about that. Yeah, to see gender spectrums open up, to yeah. see, and, and that's the thing. It is just finding the language for things that were already there, yeah. for things that were already a part of us. Yeah. And I also love that a mark of improvement, advancement, and acceptance is gay assholes. <laughs> <laughs> just, just more jerks. That's when you know. I always say, like, I think mediocrity is proof that you've really made it. Like, when you can afford to have, like, mediocre gay people out there, you know, it's like, we've done it! We've done it! Progress! Progress. Well, before we go, we have another Lower Third t-shirt poll. You can vote for a lot of people saw the new superhero movie. <laughs> Vaccinate your goddamn children. Yes. Uh, wow, I want that one. And, and maybe leave your marching band at home for a few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't seen pretty that last one. Good. That one is pretty, that was good. pretty good. Not sure who we're talking about <laughs> there, but all right. Thank you to our guests: Paul McLeod, Rosie Gray, Chantal Rochelle, John Cameron Mitchell, Megan Good, Michael Ely, and of course Queen Viola Davis. Queen Viola Davis. Well, friends, we will be back here tomorrow at 10 a.m. Have a great rest of your day. It is almost Friday. Thank you.